Welcome back to the Inside Rain podcast and thanks so much for joining me again. On today's episode, we have the lovely and informative Master Saddle Fitter, Lauren Cockshead. Lauren is by far the highest qualified saddle fitter in Ireland, holding not one but two master qualifications that only a handful of fitters have managed to achieve globally. Lauren works with riders of all levels and disciplines, from happy hackers right to Olympic level riders. A super informative episode going into what it takes to become a master saddle fitter, dealing with the general public and her plans for Saddles Ireland in the future. I can't thank Lauren enough for her time and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hi Lauren, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show. How are you? I am great, thank you. Lovely sunny day, so we'll take it. <laughs> always, always good when, it, when it's sunny here. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, so tell us all how you how you got into horses so um i wasn't from a horsey family so i just had an obsession with horses right from the get-go so i always loved animals we always had dogs and cats um there was a riding school by us i lived i grew up in somerset and it was a very kind of urban area and there was a little riding school and i used to go there and have a lesson which was basically just hacking out there was no school no airs and graces like there is today it was just if you stayed on the pony you probably went the next saturday um if you fell off then you probably took up something to do with goldfish um <laughs> and and from there just began to help out you know got to have those cheeky rides bareback and from there just kind of fed my obsession really um back in the uk as i was growing up it was kind of commonplace for a lot of the riding schools to loan out their ponies over the winter when the riding schools weren't as busy okay so growing up i would have always had a pony on loan so um that was a very steep learning curve because you go from these riding club riding school ponies that are used to this very much routine um to suddenly having one wild in a field and you realize you can't steer and it doesn't behave and <laughs> Going into feral mode. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And you think, you never used to do this. Um, and from there then, I would have done that easily for 10 years, had ponies on loan. And then eventually, when I was 18, I bought my own horse, um, my first horse, which was a total disaster. Um, he was um, a stallion, and he was two, and he was related to Jenny Lauriston Clark's Dutch Gold. So he was a top dressage guy. Wow. And it was a pure fluke that I had him, and I was so overhorsed so overhorsed now obviously I wasn't riding him at the time but he was so full of beans and I I went from kind of being a good rider to being then a very nervous person around a horse you okay. know and I had a friend um and she knew somebody and they were top into dressage back in the UK and I sold him on and I said never again would I get another horse until I could have him outside my back door and I would never overhorse myself again, you know, for all the will in the world um, and, and kind of best laid plans and all that. It was just a, a huge learning curve and very upsetting, um, but um, a great opportunity. And I know he went on to do amazing, amazing work. Yeah, oh, yeah, my yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so delighted. Um, yeah. So then we came over to <coughs> Ireland where I've uh, been over here 21, 22 years now. Um, I had other horses on loan uh, since that time, since I was 18. I'm now in my 50s and um, I had other horses on loan, but I never bought another horse. I knew I was never going to be in one place for very long. And so I didn't want to, there was no way I was going to have a horse and sell him on ever again. Yeah. So then when we came over here, I instantly knew I was settled and I bought myself a Frisian mare and we had a pony to keep him company, uh, Ozzy and Maxi Cobb, who you met. Yeah. Um, and she was just my happy hacker. And I probably did in the 15 years that I owned her, 16 years I owned her, I probably did like three years worth of work with her. You know, we were very relaxed and casual. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's basically my horsey history. But from those two, I mean, the Maxi Cobb and, um, and Happy huge issues with saddling you know I would have had an interest in it always okay and back in the UK it's much more publicized and um the rate of saddle fitters back in the UK there's a greater density of them okay. um and people generally even when when I left and even growing up you wouldn't have just got a saddle you would have had it fitted you know or gone to somebody who knew something about saddle fitting okay. it was a thing even when I was growing up okay. so I had an interest in it but nothing could prepare me for this horse that was 
just a Frisian and Frisians. I mean, even when we do our training, there's whole sections on Frisians alone because they're 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 really difficult to fit. So that was a great learning curve. Um, and then the maxi cob is just something that I see all the time now with Connies with no withers and barrelly ponies and trying to fit those shapes. So I I relate completely to all those issues people have with trying to a find a saddle that fits, mm. and then a whole separate issue is trying to stabilize a saddle on that shape. Yeah. You're kind of defying gravity, you know. Yeah. You have this cylinder and you're trying to put a top heavy weight on top of it and expecting it to stay still um so yeah that's that's in a I suppose a nutshell and from like mentioning the um I suppose issues that kind of um that you that you saw did that then kind of spark your interest then to going into studying to become a master saddle yeah so what happened was um at the time i was a nurse i was a nurse for, okay. in, in a previous life and i love nursing absolutely loved it um never had a bad day's nursing but when we first got happy who was my <coughs> frisian we had a saddle fitter out from a very well-known uh, company and my husband and I didn't have two pennies to rub together and he had saved up for a brand new saddle as a surprise for me now we were living in a caravan doing up a house at the time we had no money and Andrew had saved up and we got this saddle fitter out and you know it was great excitement and couldn't believe someone was coming and she opened the van and she had one saddle in the back of the van and she took the saddle out and she was very keen to show me the lovely leather and the knee rolls and wasn't it gorgeous, which it was. And she put it on the horse and she kind of looked back and stepped back from it and kind of almost put her fingers up like she was looking at some painting and went, da-da, isn't that lovely? And I just looked at Andrew and went, I can't buy it, it doesn't fit. And, and we just said from there, you know, I had to turn that lady away. And from there then sparked, um, I suppose, the question of where are the saddle fitters? You know, why isn't there saddle fitters here? It was a, until that point, I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah. Um, and there was no one and nowhere I could go and get information from or help or advice or anything. And the advice, the advice I could get, you know, I never came across anyone really that gave me anything useful um it was just anecdotal you know what we tried and what kind okay. of worked you know which was fine um and I muddled through it but from there then I had to do my own research I had to look kind of globally what was out there and I realized that you know nothing about you know it's one of those subjects you learn nothing <laughs> you know nothing and then you have to build on that yeah um yeah. yeah and it was fascinating and it completely absorbed me and you know from there then I kind of was giving friends advice I never called myself a saddle fitter until I actually got qualified um, but that's where kind of that desire to problem solve for myself, I think. And because I couldn't just go and get the answer, I really had to dig deep and, and find yeah. out and go from you there. You took matters into your own hands. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which we've all been in situations where we have to do that, whether, you know, whether it's, I don't know, something to do with the house or conservation or ecology or diet, you know, mm. what food you want to eat, where you can get something, you know, we yeah. all have to do that to some extent. And you become a little kind of specialist in something, you know, a niche thing. Um, but then that wasn't enough for me. I realised that people really did know um, very little about saddle fitting. Um, and I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to change um, what horses put up with. Yeah. I did. And, and once I started to investigate, I realised, you know, with horror, all the stuff that, that goes on. You must have went down some serious rabbit holes, like, oh. kind of, with how, I suppose, with A, how little people knew. Yeah. Because, we like, we've all been there when, especially when we were younger, like, you know, when we bought a pony and you just, oh, yeah, just throw that saddle on it. It'll be fine. You know, I'm kind of oblivious to what was, yeah, what yeah, was happening, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, and like that, the... the you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, that's right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And, like, I suppose not only that, but then how how often should we get saddle fishers? You know what I mean? Especially yeah. with young horses, you know, the saddle that, it, that you have on it when it's four is not going to be the same saddle that you're going to have on it when it's six, like, that's you know right. what I mean? Yeah, that's and right. And I suppose you, you have changed the world of saddle fitting here in Ireland because so m many people now are much more aware, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously it was... It was good timing because there is that kind of more global awareness now of mm. what we're doing you know and trying to take responsibility of ourselves a little bit more but when I first started saddle fitting kind of you know after kind of cutting my teeth with happy and Aussie a little bit um, and then going out and trying to give people advice mm. 
uh, easily one in five saddles I would have come across was broken absolutely oh broken God. and people just didn't realize you know it wasn't like ah sod it we'll put it up on the horse anyway people didn't people were horrified when they realized that their saddles were broken you know okay. um and this is only like 12 years ago maybe you know 13 years ago still pretty and, recent like. yeah very recent yeah 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 and and at no point was the word fit used either it was you know we need a new saddle the saddle isn't isn't working for the pony mm. you know my daughter's outgrown the saddle fit wasn't actually part of the conversation okay you know and and then when I did get qualified people generally now obviously I'm generalizing but people I had many conversations where folk would be saying so you want to charge me to come out and then you're going to charge me to buy a saddle you know that they they couldn't grasp what my job was you know and my mantra has always been by the time I leave the horse has to move better yeah, because I believe you can do that, you know, and I'm sure instructors feel that and I'm sure mm. physios feel that farriers feel that, you know, it's not revolutionary. It's just we can make a change. Here, yeah. You know, and in 99 percent of cases you can. Yeah. 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 Wow. Like just that even just kind of the one in five saddles were broken. Yeah, just still yeah, kind yeah. of is shocking me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It kind of makes you take a step back and think, you know, is you know what we're asking these horses to do these things but you should take a bit more responsibility and making sure that the equipment is on them is certainly yeah. like fitted and comfortable for them yeah. you know what i mean yeah 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 and as much you know we'll probably talk about it a little bit more later <clears throat> but people educating themselves you know mm. whilst they don't have to be saddle fitters you do have to know if something's broken yeah um and probably now one in 30 saddles I see is broken. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So much, much better. But still, <laughs> still, you know, that's, I mean, you think if you go to a show, how many horses are there? So yeah. you're going to see some broken saddles, yeah. you know, and people yeah. just don't realise. Right. Jeez, wow. That's, that's mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> it was mind-blowing for me when I realised, here's another broken saddle. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, how can I get this information out, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like, how can I... How, you know this is a, a cash cow and how can I make money out of this mm. because it wasn't about selling saddles people that there was a fundamental gap yeah that people just didn't know yeah so um and I'm still trying to battle that now how, yeah. how can I get the information out and when you decided to do the course then was that based in the UK that course yeah so so the gold standard globally would be the society of master saddlers and becoming a master saddle fitter okay so the phrase without wanting to offend anyone master saddle fitter is very grandiose and a bit of a misnomer you know because <laughs> what do they say you need to do ten thousand hours of something before you become a master so you don't get the qualification and you are a master that, that is just it in name um, but in order to do that, when I first started, you needed to do three or four years, ideally, under another master saddle fitter okay. as an apprentice to then be able to take the course, which here in Ireland wasn't an option for me to do that. So, um, and I had a family and I had kind of, obviously, you, you need to make money. So how I got around that was there was a course back in France called the MSFC, so the Master Saddlers um yep and what happened was that although it wasn't run by the master saddlers um the master saddlers would have come over and done the exam bit right at the end okay so you had to learn it to a certain standard okay um now that was a course where you had to do something like 750 hours study at home first before you were able to go on and actually do the course and the week i have to say was probably the most intense week of my life there was just a lot of personalities there <laughs> um a lot of stuff to get your head around um and then the exams you had a whole day of exams and you were running from table to table and it really was like quick 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 get over there now you're on the veterinary thing and do this and it was very kind of stressful but once I got that ticket, I was then able to go to the master saddlers okay. and go, OK, I don't have three or four years underneath, you know, a, um, a qualified saddle fitter. But I have this now to prove that I'm serious. And they go, OK, you can put your name down for the exam. But before that, then you have to get little qualifications with the master saddlers along the way. So you have to learn how to reflock a saddle, you, you know, and the more you can do. So I would have spent time with people who work at the bench and gone back regularly and done courses to see how saddles are made. Okay. Um, and then I think there was 
24 of us the days that I took my exams and three of us passed. So that was a much, whereas it was like 90% on the first course in France, you know, so the one I got was much more valid then from the master's saddle fitters. And people come, there was people there from America, New Zealand, there was people from Germany, people come from all over the world to do it. And they do not now just hand that ticket out. You really wow. have to prove that you're going to go on and do something, you know, with that yeah. ticket. Um, whereas they could just make lots of money and, and kind of hand them out now. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I think it was a lot more time served kind of 20, 10, 20 years ago to get that ticket, you know, like mm. any apprenticeship. Um but now it's very different. They've realised that, particularly in the UK, there is a glut of master saddle fitters and not necessarily taking them in the direction where they want to go. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah, so I was glad to get that ticket. But then from there, you know, before um, I did France, I was doing a lot of research myself. I would have spent time with physios. And now I'm kind of more up and running and kind of, you know, I would go to real top class riders now now for me it is more about biomechanics it's more about the horse movement but just mm. like anything that can't be right if the feet aren't right and yeah. that can't be right if the bit is a problem mm. and you know so it becomes this kind of many tentacled tree um that you you have to know a little bit about everything mm. um, it's teamwork and that you're working with the physios and yeah. the barriers and i think that's like a testament to how good a satisfier you are because you do take the whole picture yeah. into account not just oh yeah the saddle just fits nicely on the back yeah. there now yeah, and yeah. off you go do you know yeah. what i mean yeah, yeah, um yeah. and i think i suppose any profession in the horse world should really take different elements into account like whether you're a coach like of course like the animal isn't going to go right if the saddle isn't right or yeah if the bit isn't right you know i think it's it's a given that no matter what specific profession you're in, you're going to have to kind of know a little bit about absolutely. everything. Do you know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. One of my bugbears used to be like you. I would go and I would fit a saddle, and let's say that that person had been in a saddle that was out of balance. So maybe they were kind of their bottom bit of the saddle was lower than the front bit. Okay. okay? And what happens then is that a person will lean forward to stay over that center of gravity, mm. okay? Because you can't just stay back where the saddle's putting you. You'd be out of balance with the horse and you mm. tip off the back. So you will naturally lean forward. And because your bottom is lower, what happens to your lower leg is that that's pushed forward <clears> then, you know? So you end up very folded up on top of the horse. Mm. So kind of like a hunting scene. Yeah, absolutely, of... absolutely. And, and I would see that really, really regularly, you know? That's something I would have seen if I was out three days a week. I would see it at least every two weeks, okay? Normally every week I would see that in somebody. And... I think well they were having regular lessons and they were ha you know and they were like oh yeah they were always telling me to sit up or try and get my leg on mm. and yet when there was you, you could visibly see that maybe the front of the saddle was two or three inches higher than the back of the saddle mm. and then you might put the rider into something that the horse you know and that's not even touching on what it felt like for the horse but then you would put the rider into something that put them more in balance and you might get a phone call from them six weeks down the line, distraught, saying, my instructor says that saddle doesn't fit anymore, you know. And you, and it would just drive me cracked, thinking you have looked at this girl and this horse now for three years, and now you're saying that there is an issue with the saddle, you know. Oh, or or the, I've had it several times with a broken saddle, you know, mm. and then the instructor's kind of got to be in the bonnet. Um, but obviously that's not all instructors. Um, and, mm. and, and the same could be said for anything, you know. You could change how a horse moves because you're freeing up its back by lightening that load now mm. and dispersing it better and how it's had to move potentially toe in it's become toe in it's now going out so yeah. now there's a foot problem that's come because you've changed the saddle you know the complete so, the shift of balance yeah like. the shift of balance is huge you know one analogy i normally say to people is imagine if you uh give someone a piggyback and they lean off you a couple of inches you know eventually yeah you can carry that person but you're going to strain all one side of yourself mm. by in order of doing it. You know, you're going to learn to walk in a bit of a limp kind of mode to do mm. that. And if you do that for a couple of years and then we put someone back in balance again, you're still going to walk limping. You know, <clears throat> it's going to take a lifetime of building up those mm. muscles symmetrically again. Um, and I have even come across horses where I come across two ever where I just couldn't fit them because I knew they were old horses and I knew once we'd taken them out of their saddles they would never recover yeah. you know uh, uh, like having a cast on their leg from a, a broken leg their whole life 
you know, and suddenly taking that cast off, mm. they've become the gone past the point of return. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. Only twice now. Um, but it's so important that people comprehend that in the first instance, and it's not just a phone call to get a new saddle. You know, there could be little speed bumps along the way mm. because then when people comprehend that, they'll work with you. Mm. And then they'll be flying it, you know. Yeah. The horse will be jumping and moving and elevating and stretching like it's mm. never done before, you know, yeah. and that's the nub of it. Yeah, because it's not only, it's like the, the saddle fitting isn't just to fit the horse, it's to fit the rider as well, yeah. which I yeah. think can is not actually common knowledge I find you know it's it's, it's not like it is about the horse as well but it's equally as important for the rider because yeah. if the rider is out of balance then sure as hell the horse is going to be out of balance absolutely. as well like absolutely so you could you could have like a uh, I don't know an 18 stone guy riding a horse obviously that's big enough to carry him and he could maybe be in a 17 and a half inch saddle because the horse isn't going to take an 18 inch saddle yeah okay um, and a lot of horses can't take an 18-inch saddle. It doesn't matter that they're 17 hands. But the important thing for that guy is that when he sits down in that saddle, his his seat bones are in the centre of that saddle. Okay. So it doesn't really matter if he fills up the front and the back, you know, as long as he's comfortable. But when he's doing rising trot, is he sitting back in the middle of that saddle? Okay. So you have to imagine the skeleton. You could have someone riding a 17-hand horse in a... 17 inch saddle and they're only five foot high and weigh six stone wet through mm. but then if they're landing at the back of the saddle mm. that's wrong it's not going to work it doesn't matter that they've plenty of room in there but when they go to rising trot if they're then sat at the back mm. it doesn't work you know okay. saddles work perfectly when they're in balance and the rider's seat bones are in the middle of the saddle okay. that means when they either stand in the stirrups or sit down in the seat the weight is spread forward and backward along the tree a hundred percent okay the minute you're out of balance, you have 100% of the weight going at the back or 100% of the weight going at the front. Mm. You know? okay. And just as wide is nearly as bad as just too narrow as well. Okay, so, okay, yeah. yeah. I have heard like like phrases like, oh, you know, always get saddle a little wider just in case. Or, you know, it's just yeah, the yeah, weirdest yeah. Of, of phrases. But I think, you know, um, like I often see that horses misbehaving or horses not going properly often blamed on the horse itself yeah, yeah. um which is quite frustrating to see a lot yeah. of the times yeah um when actually like like what you were saying if you with the piggyback you lean back a, a, a half an inch or an inch or even lean forward look what it does to a human the very same thing happens Absolutely. to a horse and i feel like that that's not kind of taken into account all that much that yes like moving half an inch or an inch is going to make a massive difference mm. for the horse yeah. and that you know the way a horse goes you know whether it's more often when it's negative it shouldn't be just kind of oh that's the horse's fault you know yeah. what i mean it should yeah. be kind of looked at it as a whole you know yeah, what I mean? yeah yeah or that fr frustration of he's getting worse he did it a minute ago why won't he do it again yeah you know because yeah. perhaps physically he can't keep that up for yeah. you you know yeah um so one thing um that I would see most, I guess, would be saddles that are a bit too curvy in the tree. So obviously horses and humans have skeletons and then the hard bit inside a saddle is called the tree. Yeah. So, so when you look at a horse from the side, if you were to strip it down to its skeleton, um, you could see the shape of its back and its rib cage, very importantly, more than its spine, its rib cage and the angle of that. And then when you get a saddle and you put it on top of that skeleton, if you were to strip that all off back to its wood and metal, the shape of that tree along the horse's back or rib cage should match it, you know, or, or pretty much match it. Mm. What you have when you have a curved saddle is you have pressure in the middle of that horse's back. Okay. So what I'm always saying to people is imagine that the horse is a bendy stick. OK, you've got the head on one end of the stick and then you've got the spine as the middle of the stick and the tail on the other. And what you want the horse to do or the stick to do is to bend down at the ends, which which is just the same as in a horse. If he bends his head down and brings his back legs underneath him, the middle of his back has to lift up, Come just on. as if you bent a riding crop or a stick. Mm. If there is pressure in the middle of that stick, okay, or the middle of the horse's spine, the minute he puts his head down, that pressure's increasing in the middle. Does that make sense? Yeah. If he puts his head up, that pressure relieves Releases. in the back. Mm. So what you end up seeing potentially in a saddle that's maybe a little bit curved is you will get up the long edge a couple of strides of, 
okay, I can relax into it, okay? But when I'm coming to a corner now, just the corner itself means its back's going to come up because its rib cage is going to swing up mm. and that's going to increase the pressure. So for me on the ground, when I'm watching a horse, you know, I want to see it keep the, co the constant kind of contact as it goes around the corners. Mm. And what you'll see in a horse that's come out of a, a curved tree this is assuming obviously that the, the horse has got a fairly straightish back yeah. is that you'll get the nice strides up the long edge and then the head will come up as it goes around the corner or it begin to fall in and then the head will drop a little bit as it comes down the okay. other long edge again um and it takes a little while for the horse to realize oh god i can actually keep my head down mm. going around here this is much better for me mm. and of course it's so much better for their top line and so much better for their core you yeah. know and we say top line in people we think about our abs and working on our sit-ups yeah. and stuff. That's exactly what we're doing with the horses. We yeah. just see our abs because that's what's in front of us visually. <laughs> Whereas on a horse, we look at their back, you know, but obviously the two work together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then from a horse that hasn't been using itself a lot, you know, if I walk into a stable and I'm looking at a horse straight off, I'm looking to see, you know, the owner might stand in front of it and say, oh, it's got a bit of a pot belly at the minute, you know, but it's normally got a pot belly. And that to me says, well, it's not using its back. It's not working correctly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it could easily carry an extra 50 kilos and not look like it's got a pot belly, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Really, really like fascinating. Job. Like <laughs> it, it, It's so far removed from just selling a saddle. Yeah. You know, it, it just transcends so many other things. Mm. Um it must be quite overwhelming for you sometimes though like being a saddle facer when they when you know that there's often all of these other little factors that affect yeah kind of and how do you i suppose how do you i suppose like kind of keep yourself from getting too overwhelmed when you know when you're fitting a saddle that there's so many other factors you know yeah what I mean? so pick your battles is one thing and the other thing is if you can make yourself human and there is no there's no shame in ignorance there really is no shame in ignorance because mm. you don't know until you know yeah you know the shame is when you knew and you continued to do it yeah then what the hell are you even doing around animals mm. you know so that is a you know mm. zero tolerance on that but the fact that i might go to someone and they've a broken saddle and they've a bit hanging out the horse's mouth and he is well, hopefully not, but he could be knee deep in, in poop and, you know, they were trying to keep him in for some reason and, you know, the farmer up the road clears this out and the, things are kind of out of their control. Mm. It starts with just a conversation of saying, well, you know, um, let's work on this today, you know, and let's, yeah. let's do the saddle. And it's not that... Obviously, I would be available for anyone who, who wanted to kind of call, but I'm not saying you can call me and we can talk about the other things at all, but yeah. you're just saying during the two hours that I'd be with someone you're saying well now look you know he's brought his head down and you can see him licking and chewing you know and does he feel a bit more bouncy do you feel like you're yeah. kind of being fired out the saddle now mm. you know and um and then maybe when you go back to the stable you could say he'd be even stronger more bouncier if he was out every day you know and and maybe the farmer wouldn't notice if you just did his stable and not the others you know and yeah. And it's up to you what you do about the bit, but I've always found that horses go a little bit better with this, uh, you know, a bit of a shorter bit mm. or, you know, you, you have to pick your battles. I wouldn't dream of going in and telling somebody what to do, but I would dream of going in and opening their eyes to what can potentially happen you yeah. know, during a saddle fit and how happy their horse can be and move. Mm. And, you know, once people see a result and once people think, that was within my power and I changed it and look at the relationship now I have with the horse. Yeah. Then they're incentivized to go on and do the other things. Yeah. You know, we've yeah. all been frustrated where we think, well, sod you because you've nearly kicked me in the head there mm. and I've done everything for you today, yeah. you know, and I'm doing my best. And But when you have those days where, oh, you know, something happened and you had a breakthrough together, you're incentivized then to go, do you know what? I'm going to get the physio out as an extra yeah. thing for you. The penny you. drops. The like... penny drops, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And we're just going to do a hack tomorrow. We're not going to go around because that's your time. You know, mm. I'm not thinking it's just riding and we have to crack this mm. problem. Um, so it becomes much more kind of two-way, you know. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't ever dream of pointing out an issue that I wasn't thought someone was receptive to, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. But I would try and highlight the other things that they are, and hopefully things would change. Yeah, yeah. And going back to the course, what was the hardest part? Um, you know, like saying, I mean, it's it's fairly evident that the course was hard. It's twenty five of you went, and three only passed. Twenty four, yeah, and three 24. passed. Yeah. What was the hardest part of the course? 
Um, for you. So, um, blah, blah, blah. for me, I think there, there's a section on it with um, to do with horse movement, and that would probably be my weakest spot. Um, now, I wouldn't be weak on it per se, but definitely that's the thing that, you know, some people just see lameness in a horse and yeah. I'd be going, oh my God, I can't see it. Why can't I see it? Why can't I make myself better at doing that? You can't just make yourself better. You have to keep looking at horses, yeah. you know? And that was the thing. A bit like learning to drive and some people can't get that clutch in, you know, and it's <laughs> every time. And it's just that for me would have been the hardest. So so physically, there was a lot of kind of tiring nights of doing research and kind of obviously going to the UK and trying to balance income with trying to do that regularly, mm. you know, so that was hard to do that. Um, the amount of study, the the veterinary side of it, although it's mind boggling and you do have to know it in, in big depth, just I'm sure like lots of subjects. Because I had a nursing background, I already had anatomy and physiology, you know. Yeah. The bit I didn't have was locomotion, Okay. The, you know, because horses move differently to people yeah. and their centre of gravity is different. But the, the, the all the theories are the same. Um, so I was very interested in locomotion. I was very interested, and I know it's become a, a kind of hot potato, biomechanics. Biomechanics is just how the whole horse moves, mm. you know, and if you do this to the bit what happens at the back end, you know? I feel like biomechanics has really blown up over the last yeah, few they years have. as well, they hasn't have. it? And no harm, no harm yeah. at all, you know? Um, I always think it reminds those, um, do you remember those toy snakes and they were made They were made of wood and they were all just little yes. slices yeah. and you held the tail and it moved like a snake, yeah. you know? And whenever I hear the word biomechanics, that's what I think of. I think <laughs> of that. I think you can't just move the end bit without the front bit going wildly yeah. all over the place. For every, for every action, there's a reaction, Absolutely. isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm going back to what you said. The hardest part for me was the worry of not being able to see something when I did the exam, you know, and and I have to say they were very human. And I, I kind of did that part of the exam and I went straight up to the instructors afterwards and said, look, I'm going to work on this bit. And they were like, it's fine. It's fine. And I said, but this is my thing I want to work on. You know, yeah. <clears throat> if I missed anything there. I have plans to do that. And I did, you know, and I had plans to go with physios and stuff. Mm. And it would still be my weak point. Okay. Now, relatively, you know, it would still be my weak point mm. because other bits of it, the, the penny just drops. Or you might see an awful lot of the same thing and that's then compounded in your brain, you mm. know, how that works. Um, the Probably the hardest bit of saddle fitting itself, so not the exam, is trying to deal with the mileage and the hours are obviously a physical thing. Um, but trying to deal with people, you know, people skills and the psychology. Mm. And people would say that if they were a doctor, if they were a physio, if they're a shopkeeper, mm. it's always the, you know, it's not the jar of beans, it's not the broken leg, you know, yeah. it's not the saddle. Yeah, it's, it's the general public. It's that the you're general with. public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's trying, and it's not because everyone's psychotic. It's just your, you've got to be careful that your view of things doesn't become so detached from the norm. Yeah. You have to keep yourself grounded and you have to base every consultation on, you know, where to pitch it. Yeah. Where, what are they going to take away from it? And they have to take stuff away from it. There's mm. no good me going on about biomechanics to, you know, a 10 a, a year old who keeps her pony on the farm and she's grown up with them, you know, and she doesn't aspire to do anything except yeah. ride little Bobby. And, and he just wants him to be comfy. You know, that's yeah. as awesome as an Olympic rider who has kind of, you know, kind of goals to yeah. hit every week. Um, you have to kind of pitch it to the right point. And actually those top riders, I would do a lot less saddle fitting and biomechanics and education because they're already there. They already okay. know an awful lot about bits and feet and stuff. And yeah. they will know the minute that the horse is moving better than I might see it on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, the hardest bits from a saddle fitting point of view are trying to deal with people and make them reassured and trying to give them as much information as I can yeah. without overwhelming them. Yeah, yeah. And what advice would you have for somebody that, you know, is interested in saddle fitting? What, what advice would you have for somebody that, I suppose, is going and potentially doing the exam, like either the one in France or going for the, for the master saddles? Mm. Or, yeah, what advice would you have? So I'd say... Um, and I don't want to upset people in France, but ultimately where you want to be is the master saddlers. Okay. okay. The master saddle fitters. Okay. And the master saddlers do, you can be a master saddle, um, a master, um, saddlers, saddler. So you make saddles. Okay. Okay. 
very specific. I'm a master saddle fitter. I don't make saddles. I could repair saddles. I could reflock saddles, but it's not my business. Yeah. You know? Um, so I would say the first thing I would say to someone is, why do you want to do it? Just like anyone, you know, I have a 16 year old at the moment. She's going, oh, what if I want to do journalism? Well, why do you want to do that? Don't just pick something, you mm. know, why, you know, seriously, why do you want to do it? <laughs> um, and if you want to do it because you can see the niche, you can see the good, you know, you can see that it's needed um, and you have the strong moral fiber to walk away from a sale, even though you might not have beans in your cupboard rather than make a sale, you know, mm. when it's, it's not going to be the right thing, then you should definitely be a saddle fitter. Okay. Yeah. If you can cope with people that are going to get really angry with you for no reason, and the fact that you are human and you may make a mistake at some yeah. point with the best intention in the world, you know, um, then you could go on and be a saddle fitter. Mm. Um, if you have an interest in the greater kind of comfort of horses rather than your bank balance, then, yeah, you, you should be a saddle fitter. Okay. And to prepare yourself for that, look at saddles, you know, look at horses in saddles, look at the way that they're moving, um, find out just the basic parts of a saddle, mm. you know, how are saddles made, what do they look like if you strip all the leather off, um, what is a tree, you know, a tree is just like a big wooden and metal tennis racket basically with mm. a curve on one end, um, what's the problems that people have with saddle fitting, just just question saddles and look at every horse you see and just look at the saddle and how it is on there. Um, and what would you change about it? What do you not see wrong? Because I, every day that I would be out on the road, I would learn something. I would nearly learn something from every person. Yeah. You know, whether it's how to deal with a situation, whether it's from, yeah, I walked behind a horse there and that was really silly and yeah, I do it all the time and I know I shouldn't, <laughs> pony clubs shoot me. Um, just, just you know, little things like that, let yeah. alone the saddle fitting thing. Mm. Um, and going just a little bit off and a little bit weird and spooky, one thing I have noticed now and I am well over 10,000 hours into saddle fitting um, is horses' reactions to things. Things that can't be prescribed, things that sound like, you know, lots of times now I would walk into a, a stable with a saddle and a horse will have a very negative reaction to it. And I can nearly know at this point that that saddle is not going to be the saddle that works, even though in theory it kind of looks good. And I think, yeah, it's got potential. I nearly just put it back in the van. You know, there, there's lots of other things out there that you have to be open to. And I am not into ghosts and ghoulies and all that yeah. thing. But this is something that I'm saying on a podcast because it's actually happening a lot. Yeah. You know, and other times I'll have a big licky dribble all over the saddle and they don't even lift their head up from the hay and they're happy for me to put the saddle on. And I'm not on about girthing it or anything. I'm mm. not about literally walking into the stable. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's all kinds of things out there that while it's great to put your head in a book, and learn about things and watch YouTube. You know, you can get blinded by science. I would just say hang out with horses and put saddles on their back and watch saddle, watch horses. And, you know, is are they tense in their neck? Do they not look happy in that situation? Mm. And it could be bits, it could be loads of other things. But the more you look, the more you'll see. Mm. And the less answers you'll have, but the more you're seeing. And yeah. the more you see, the more you might recognise it then on a consultation. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's something that, and again, I, I like, I'm, it's not everyone, but I don't think that people spend as much time with the horses no. as much as they used to. No. Um, like when you look back and, you know, years ago, like people used to spend so much time grooming the horses, yeah. you know, like strapping them, yeah, strapping yeah, them and everything yeah. and grooming now is a, a quick flick yeah. off you go, you yeah. know, and there's often so much that you can miss when you don't spend that initial time yeah. with them. And we're all guilty of it yeah. now. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. life is so busy. Fast paced now. But I think that if a rider truly wants the best for the horse and the comfort for them, you know, that they will spend that time with them and yeah. see like, you know, and we've all seen it where, oh yeah, you put the saddle on or that mirror pins your ears back and, you yeah. know, gives you gives you the teeth and whatever. Yeah. 
or, or that's normal or whatever but is it normal yeah that's you know right, what i mean yeah. and we're so bombastic how we go into their stables and just go right come on yeah. this is my two hours you know and we're gonna have a lovely ride and yeah. you're kind of saying these things to make it reality you yeah. know whereas you know if you do if you are fortunate enough to be able to spend more time with horses within five seconds of walking into the stable you'll know if it's a good day or a bad day yeah and not because they're so obvious as to put their back to you or anything like that um but you know the more time you spend with them the more you'll pick your battles mm. and the more you'll go okay maybe it's a hack day <laughs> you win <laughs> i had i had other plans but you know that's fine that's fine yeah. Um, but yeah absolutely like you're saying you know and i think we happened to mention it the other day when people for instance used to event so they would have spent six weeks doing road work and just pure trotting um and now horses you know and they were out and about with their horses taking in the scenery yes they might have had a goal in mind but now horses are often put on a walker you know we're detaching ourselves again mm. from them to to kind of get them fit to get them ready to achieve our task mm. that we want to do um loads of people come into riding later on in life which is amazing and mm. absolutely you bring so much to the table by doing that mm. and you don't take anything for granted but for me i grew up hacking and I would have hacked through towns and I would have hacked through countrysides and on beaches and woods and that was my thing I didn't ever go in an arena so now for me going into arena is a bit like oh it's boot camp you know yeah. I've got to do something every movement I make it has to be quantified as to what my outcome was going yeah. to be you know yeah. and whilst I might be ever so generous and walk around on a long rain for a, a whole lap then um, whereas for somebody else when they come into riding particularly later on in life their whole riding is in an arena so to go for a hack is an extreme sport for them. Yes. Oh my They're God. They're just not yes. used to it. And to be in an arena, you are dictating every movement that that horse makes. That is mm. very different to spending maybe time seeing what a horse chooses to do. Yeah. You know, so, um, and it's and it's nobody's fault and it is what it is. And a, a horse, absolutely, you can have great fun with it in the arena. But just things have changed. Things mm. have changed um, irrevocably if that was the right way of saying that word mm. I always have issues with that word you know they're not going to go back potentially to how they were and probably not enough of us do stuff just loose with the horse we don't <laughs> allow it to dictate certain things and I'm not on about it ruling the show because we have to be the alpha in those situations otherwise it becomes very dangerous mm. um, but yeah we should let horses choose a little bit more mm. you know but we're so busy and we only have this much time to get there and we were held up in the traffic you know and everything's got and it costs a fortune so i've just paid my subscriptions and if i don't do the show this weekend you know yeah. and just like life just like kids just like work yeah you know and we, we it, and it's very easy to say we've lost the run of ourselves with horses as well um but we have Oh, we have. we have, yeah. yeah, we have, and it'd be great if we could do more. So much easier for the horse to be on a straight line hack and not being asked to come on the bit all the time, mm. you know, and not being asked to do transitions and half halts. I mean, I don't have an arena, so I would do all those things on the road anyway, but yeah. most of the time we're just hanging out, you yeah. know, but I would do leg yielding and shoulder in and all the kind of, you know, turning on his haunches and mm. all that kind of stuff because I don't have any choice. Yeah. Um, and you can do an awful lot like that. But that won't take me to a competition yeah. either, you know, and that's yeah. often people's outcome. But I think, you know, it would contribute to the horse's soundness levels as well if it wasn't always in the arena Yeah. too, you know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. I think just having that variation of the different surfaces, you know what I mean? Um, Like there's so much research out there and I'm sure people will just go ahead and do it themselves, like just you know, consciously riding on a soft surface, you know, it's, it's not good for yeah. their legs like they need. And like you say, hacking is an extreme sport now, whereas hacking used to be like the kind of getaway. That's right. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, before yeah. like... Yeah. I, 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 there's times when I would have hacked eight miles to get to a show and then yeah. did the show, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. It, it is. And, and no animal is designed to go in circles all of its life. It's yeah. not. I mean, you just think of the skeleton. You've got you've got irregular pressure on the inside limb the yeah. whole time and there's very few straight lines. Yeah. Now, there's loads of things you can do. Obviously, you can do a lot without a rider on, which improves things, you know. Yeah. But it's just about balance. It's just trying to question it. It's it's be, Things that have become the norm are not necessarily the best practice. Mm. Yeah. Um, and whilst it's very upsetting to hear that and go, oh, brilliant, yeah, Lauren, how am I going to go for a hack every day? I live on a main road and how am I going to do this, that and the other? You can't. You can't do those things. Yeah. I totally get it, you know. But it makes but you, you reevaluate, can... you know, right, okay, 
like I I I need to include a little bit more hacking. Yeah. Like while we're not going to go back to how it was years ago, yeah. at least you can kind of say, right, I know this now, and I can just pr- try and make life for the horse and for myself a little bit easier, a little bit more varied soundness looking at them from a longevity point of view yeah. and just say right i live on a main road right you know what i'll do i'll just back it up and i'll go for a hack maybe yeah. once every two weeks at least you're doing your bit yeah you know that's I mean? right because people box up to go to a show mm. they box up to go to another arena mm. why wouldn't you box up to go somewhere lovely where there's going to be no traffic yeah you know? and i know it's terrifying you know but just like anything you have to start small and do achievable goals mm. um, and go with someone whose horse is super reliable you know mm. or even just go and ride yourself in a riding school where they go for hacks and just mm. get your headspace right because mm. headspace is everything mm. you know yeah. uh, before you take your horse out yourself um, but there's other things you can do rather than just keep trying to do the same movements mm. in the arena doing know? the same thing and expecting different results yeah yeah, yeah but yeah, it doesn't yeah. happen you no. do the same thing you get the yeah. same results yeah yeah <laughs> and it's very frustrating and then just like we were saying at the start you know where that where you have a good experience and it incentivizes you to do more and more when you keep trying to do the same thing and you keep having a bad result you know or every second time it just makes you want to give up you yeah know? or it makes you kind of frustrated and yeah then, you yeah. know who wants to be a horse with a rider on their back that's frustrated yeah them, you know? yeah yeah and kind of going back to a point that we mentioned earlier about kind of educating horse owners um what do you kind of you know want to give out to the listeners that i suppose should they get you for a saddle fitting consultation that they just kind of have a little bit more awareness themselves yeah. before you arrive on yeah. you know what i mean yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, from my point of view now, I've done this for, for years and anyone that's had me out um, would know that a lot of what I do is education. Really mm. important that people take things away from, from what we're doing. Mm. I wouldn't be a person that would just put a saddle on, say it suits, even if it does suit, and not explain why it suits, not explain why the horse potentially is now going to change mm. and what to look out for. But now I'm off the road a lot more. So Mm. I'm only actually on the road one day a week now. So for most people, I wouldn't be getting to them. So one thing I want to do now with Saddles Island, which is who I work with, and we are in the process of doing them at the moment, is somewhere between 20 and 40 videos Mm. for the website on, is my saddle broken? How do I change a gullet? You know, what does a saddle look like when it hasn't got all the kit and caboodle on it and what's all the parts? Mm. What can I do for a saddle that slips over to one side permanently? Why would it do that? And what can I do to help my me and my horse? Mm. There's loads of little things that people could do. And whether it's of interest to you or not, I guarantee if you if you watch some of those videos, you would pick up so much. You, you really would pick up so much. And whilst they might be teaching a lot of people to suck eggs and they're not really relevant, there would be stuff there that, that would be really, really easy, you know, <laughs> to kind of take on and take something away. <laughs> oh, that was a brilliant, that was a brilliant uh, line. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, so videos, are, videos definitely are the way forward for me. That's how I can reach the most people with the most information. Mm. And it would be free information. It would be free on the website, you know, yeah. because even if everyone, if everyone that rode horses knew how much I knew today, I would still be fully booked out Yeah. in the years to come because you learn exponentially. Once you know lots of stuff, you learn things at a much yeah. quicker rate, you know. Yeah. Um, so if they could just get the basics, they would then pick up so much other stuff really, mm. really quickly that was relevant to them. They don't need to know everything else, you know. Yeah. And you know yourself, if you get another horse, you have another set of issues. You know, it's oh, a bit absolutely. like having another child, you know, there's another set of issues. <laughs> that one, the other one never used to do that, you know. Or horses, now I've got high withers, now I have a saddle that goes over to one side, now mm. I'm out of balance. Or well, this saddle used to feel lovely and it fits this horse, but it feels horrible on this horse, yeah. you know. So yeah. where do I go for something else? Yeah. Um, my horror is, that people just go and buy things with no kind of support out mm. there and there isn't support out there there mm. really isn't and no support but also I think with um and I touch on this a lot in my podcast with social media kind of 
just buying things from for a fashion sense. Yeah, I mean, marketing companies are so much better at getting your money than you are at keeping it. They yeah. really are, you yeah. know. And we all, like we were saying about time constraints, we all want the quick fix. We'll all yeah. go out and buy something because hopefully it'll work. Because do you know what? All of those products do work. They really do. The jelly pads, the the different lunging aids, but they only work in a certain set of criteria, you yeah. know. And hopefully you'd be lucky and your criteria would fit and you'd have an improvement. Um, I mean, they're not going to fix everything. They're not going to fix everything. Yeah. I mean, pads are a great one. I mean, I use pads every day um, when I'm saddle fitting, but people will often say, well, yeah, get the jelly pad because it made a massive difference to my horse, you know, but fundamentally, if the saddle didn't fit, a bit of relief is going to help, but it's not going to get rid of it. You know, yeah. if my shoe doesn't fit, a ski sock might help, but it might make things worse. Yeah. I might want a little thin silky sock rather than something <laughs> massive, you know? And people go, oh no, that pad didn't work for me. It was absolutely rubbish, that pad. But this pad worked, you know? And mm. it's, it's knowing why that pad worked yeah. versus the other. If people just knew that, then they could go and buy their fancy pad and know yeah. that it was going to work for them, you yeah. know, if they just knew. Um, and that would be another video, putting pads under. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So videos will be coming yes, um, this to year. Saddles Island. This year they will be, yes. Lovely. They will be, yeah, yeah. yeah lovely yeah. wow and do you have any other kind of part of the saddle fishing or even in your day-to-day job that you want to talk about um you know just to let the listeners know anything that kind of pops into your mind that you'd love to talk about um I think we've already touched on it a main thing for me is trying to keep the horse as natural as possible so we talked touched on it with riding there you know he doesn't roam the plains as a wild mustang going round in circles and performing high maneuvers you know mm. and i've and and it's about balance so horses can absolutely definitely be doing those high maneuvers their whole life into their 20s mm. with the right balance they absolutely yeah. can you mm. know they can um so i'm i'm definitely not against those kind of things you know um but if if we look at all the neurosis and all the issues that we call vets out for, and physios, if you took the human equation out of it, there wouldn't be any of those issues. There would be very few stomach ulcers, very few lameness problems, you know. Um, And and so for me, it's trying to keep the horses as natural as possible. So where I live in Clare, I have diabolical land. I don't know how (laughs) I bought it. It's it's fine for midges, ducks and rice. I'd say (laughs) that's about all I could do with my land. Um, and but we have a couple of acres and we have a few horses so I have never been a fan of stables and this is me very very personally so Mm -hmm. I have and you've seen them right I have barn and the horses have like a big turnout pen they could just about canter in there and kill each other and I keep them in together friendly horses in together as much as I can and I try and give them as much room to move as possible because the reality for my horses is they can't be out roaming the plains Mm. every day I just don't have that land yeah and I'm working on it. I'm working on reseeding. I'm working on grasses that grow kind of in that kind of condition, mm. you know, but it takes a long, long time. Mm. So just like going back to the person who doesn't really want to go for a hack, you know, yeah, you can't change it overnight. But if you plant that seed, mm. everything you do will eventually take mm. you down that route. You practice what you preach because, you know, you're aware of, you're aware that you don't have good land, but you, you, you're you're constantly working towards making it better for yeah. them. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So can I keep them together? Can I keep them moving around, you mm. know? Um, and my mare, going back to her, Happy, she was a Frisian mare, and she was the, what they call the Baroque type. So she was super solid. She came from Holland. Um, she was a fabulous mare. And she never lost a pound of weight until... One year, I kept her in. So I always used to have winter grazing and I used to mm. keep the horses out without rugs and everything. And they'd never lost any weight. Um, and one year, I kept her in, in my barn system. So big barn, you know, and she could roam around with her friend and the weight just fell off her. Mm. And that was so useful for me. Sorry, Happy, but it was so useful for me to see that it wasn't enough that I fed them on the ground. On the ground and walking was what she needed to keep that top line. Yeah. So unless I'd done like a spiral of hay for her to eat every day <laughs> to keep her actually physically moving, the weight, that top line just fell off her. Yeah. So that became so useful for me to say, well, wow, if we keep them in and they can't move, how can they have strong backs? And if yeah. they don't have strong backs, when we ride them, they're going to compensate through their legs or yeah. they're going to compensate through their neck. And all that is then going to give them tension. 
And that's a really simple thing, just yeah. losing a bit of condition over winter. Yeah. But that's how complex it can be. Um, and you can't just solve it, but you can just question it a little yeah. bit and just move towards, you know, um, I'm not suggesting everyone gets rid of their bits or rid of their shoes. You know, that's personal choice. But it's just question what's normal and why is it normal? And yeah. whose favour is it? Is it in the horse's favour that it's or normal? Yours. Or is it in our favour as humans yeah. that it's normal? Yeah. Um, and we know which way it'll it'll lie, you know? Yeah. So I think we can have them and I think they can love their stables and I think they can love their arena work and I think they can stay sound, but they can't just do those things. Yeah. And a lot of horses just do those things, yeah. you know. Yeah. And the longer time goes on, the more it's the majority that are just doing those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if people don't speak out and possibly offend other people, you know, with their point of view, then nothing changes. And yeah. you said that to me the other day, you yeah. know, and it's very true. Um, yeah. Yeah. That my husband has a saying, he's a surfer and a windsurfer and stuff. And um, he always says, don't be afraid to make waves, Lauren. The, 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 the tide does it twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good that saying. a very good saying it yeah. is. No, I'm still terrified of making waves. But uh, it's yeah. true, you know, sometimes you yeah. have to. Yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to do with, like, that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Because, I like, you fitted the saddles for my horses for years. And we have a great relationship. And I, like... I trust your opinion so much and we get and like we click and that's kind of why I wanted because there's no you know you 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 say it how it is in with with respect you know what I mean and like that's what I wanted people to hear that look just take a step back and okay it might kind of make you feel a little bit guilty if your horse is always in or you know and we're not intentionally trying to people feel guilty but it's just to raise awareness that an extra day out in the field or an extra hack up the road yeah. will do your you and your horses yeah. favor and also getting the saddle correctly fitted for you as a rider but also yeah. for you as a horse yeah. you know what I mean yeah, yeah absolutely and maybe that move in the arena that you can't crack maybe another learning direction would be to try and do it in hand yeah you know, yeah. because once you've done that, obviously it's a whole new route for you. But once mm-hmm. you've done that, the horse knows what you mean, you yeah. know, and you've you've opened up a whole new avenue of fun potentially yeah. with your horse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what's next now for Saddles Island and for you? So the videos, like I said, yeah, um, I will be being more office based now. You cannot do saddle fitting from the office. You absolutely cannot. I can advise people. But ultimately, when people send me in pictures, I can say if things look wrong, but I can't advise them on pressures under the saddle. Mm. So videos, hand in hand with maybe the trial facility, wherever they go and buy their saddle from, Mm. that's the future for Saddles Island, trying to get information out there. Right from when I very first started with my own education in saddles, I knew education was where it was at. Not going out on the road fitting saddles Mm. because people don't know where else to go. Yeah. People can nail that themselves. They absolutely yeah. can and save some money in, to boot, you know. Mm. And then when there's a problem, they can contact a saddle fitter. Yeah. I seriously hope that there is more decent saddle fitters coming. I yeah. really do. There is a huge opening for the right people in the right situation. Um, so I, I welcome those people. And if anyone ever wants to speak to me, um, I know I've had physios out with me and things in the past, but lockdown has kind of put the brakes on that for a while. Um, but I'm always open to people coming out, um, speaking to me on the phone, you know, one to one. I've I've kind of I'm busy. There's no doubt about it. After the weekend, there was 84 emails yesterday as I oh went into God. the office, <laughs> a lot of pictures and things to look at, uh, which is why I can't be on the road anymore, because mm. it's bigger than a one to one problem. Um, but that's the future of Saddles Island, Saddles Island education. That's where it's going to be. <laughs> so exciting so yeah exciting. it is very very exciting for years i've muddled over the problem of how to do it and you know you have really good outcomes and many saddle fits i've cried at because the the horse has just moved so much better you know and it mm. would it would make you weep um and and ri- i've had riders crying um and it's just so lovely to see those changes and what can be achieved in a really short time yeah but one-to-one i just can't do enough i can't and yeah. and it's it's like anything if you're in a maths lesson and the teacher's teaching you something and you've got it and you've grasped it and you do the exam and you've passed it 
if you're not thinking about those things, they don't mean anything to you in a year's time. Yeah. So people still have the same problems, you know. And you can Google, you can have a look at different um, saddle fitting videos. There's a guy called Jochen Slees. Um, he does his own range of saddles. Um, and I'm neither pro nor for, but actually he does, I think, five videos um, on saddle fit. And up until now, I think they're about the best ones on YouTube for okay. people to look at. Up until now, Siobhan, oh, <laughs> Saddles Island, you know, I hope we'll we'll start with the basics and we'll we'll go on from yeah. there, definitely. Yeah. Oh, very exciting. <laughs> I'm very excited for um what's going to happen with Saddles Island and I think people should definitely keep on the lookout for yeah. what's coming. And at the moment, I should just say, because um, Andrew and the guys in the office will kill me, we are updating the website at the moment and we're ready to launch a lot of different products. So the website is kind of very slow at the moment. So okay. apologies for that, for anyone trying to upload saddles or anything. Um, but watch this space in the next couple of weeks. A new, a new site will be launched. So exciting. Lauren, thank you so so much. Thank and you, I know that I know that listeners are gonna go away with, you know, the the their eyes a little wide open Good. and you know, thank you so so much. And yeah, if anybody wants to contact you, how can they contact you? So Saddles Island, if they look up saddlesisland.com, okay. um, and then you can get in touch there. There's a phone number for the office. I'm there most days till four, except on Thursdays, okay. um, or send in an email. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Siobhan.